I think what's really happened is we have society-wise defined what it means to be good at math in such a narrow way that it really excludes most people. Hey everyone, welcome to Nerdin' About. I'm Space Michael, and with me as always is someone who loves fanny packs, just had one delivered, and that is Dr. Kaylee Byers. Hey Kaylee. Oh, hi. They're just practical, Michael. And you know me, I'm all about practicality. Like if I'm going to be out there knitting, I just want to have it tied around my waist. No problem. You know, I was, you know, as a kid, very against fanny packs. But when I would go to baseball card shows, they were so useful. I'd see these baseball card nerds with their fanny packs and they just like were filled with Mm -hmm, cards. mm -hmm. And now that I'm back into baseball cards, I'm like, maybe I need a fanny pack again. Well, you better get one because I'm about to tell you that I've got one and our guest has one as well. So, so today I am pleased to introduce to you another fanny pack owner. Fan. A fanny pack fan. <laughs> Triple F. <laughs> is uh, Vanessa Vicaria. Vanessa is the founder and director of The Math Guru, which is a boutique math and science tutoring studio in Toronto. She's also the author of Math Hacks, a new book that makes math fun, stress-free, and relatable for young kids and parents. And on top of all that, she's also the host of Math Therapy, a podcast that works through guests' math trauma and one that I desperately need. Hi, Vanessa. How are you? I'm great. I am so great. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad we are all Fanny Pack fans. <laughs> so, well, we're overjoyed to have you here with us today. And first question, you're kind of like a math education superhero. So speaking of being a superhero, can you please give us your origin story? How did the math guru come to exist? Okay, well, I've never been called that before. So I'm so flattered that I'm kind of shocked. I don't even know what to say. But I will still give you my origin story. Basically, here's the vibe. So there I was in high school, failing grade 11 math, not once, but twice. And like, I really just wanted to be the next Brittany, Mary Keanu Reeves, call it a day, you know, Mm -hmm. move to the Hollywood Hills. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, so I was failing math. And the weird thing was like, no one thought it was weird. Do you know what I mean? Like my friends and teachers were like, oh, well, you're just not a math person. And I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, totally. Like Britney Spears, hi, that's what I'm going to be. I'm not a math person. Britney doesn't need math, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Anyways, so my parents who were super supportive were also like, yeah, that's so cool that you want to hike to LA and find Keanu Reeves, who's like unreasonably older than you, but whatever. Okay. My celebrity crush is Sam Neill. So you're you're doing a lot better than me. I am. And and quite frankly, like I'd say now he's more age appropriate to be on. Anyways, who cares? (laughs) Not the point of the story at all, even though that does require math, to be honest, to calculate that. (laughs) Anyways, so my parents are like, you need to graduate high school. So they sent me to this alternative school. And this alternative school was like nothing like anywhere I'd ever been. It was a super chill vibe. There were 100 kids in the whole school. There were no cliques. Like, you know, we call teachers by their first names. And I walked into math class. So I had passed grade 11 math finally on the third try with a 57 in summer school. So I went into my math class. I was in grade 12 math. And I said to my math teacher, you know, you're going to have a really tough time with me. I'm not a math person. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, I'm not a math person. And then she looked at me and said the words that would forever change my life. And she just said, that's not a thing. And then she was like, also, please sit down. I'm about to teach a lesson. And I was like, okay, wow, what? (laughs) But it really changed everything for me because 
you know, and I say this all the time, it, it's not about math. It's not about being like, oh, great. Now I can get a 99 in calculus, which by the way, I did. Such a humble brag. <laughs> no big deal. Anyway, <laughs> no big deal. But it was about the fact that I was like, oh my God, you know, at the age of 17, I realized I'd been told I wasn't capable of something my whole life. And it was sort of like the veil was lifted. And I guess, you know, I, that's the origin, origin story. One thing led to another. I started tutoring peers in my class and friends because I just never, I was like, oh my God, no, I've got to show you this thing. It's a lie. It's a lie. I can show you. You're good at math. And I never meant to start a tutoring center. Like, I don't know if anyone like is like at 17, like, yeah, I'm going to start a tutoring studio. <laughs> I wonder. Anyways, one thing really truly led to another and I was tutoring and I was super busy and I was getting more and more students and I just hired the first person. And now we have 40 people in this amazing tutoring studio and we are global because we're online as well as brick and mortar. So it really honestly started with a love of, of showing people what they were capable of. I would say, you know, just being like, wow, this math teacher taught me that anything in life is possible. And I want to do that for, for everyone. That is super cool. And I want to talk a little bit more about this not a math person thing because I started following you this year and you were talking on a panel for ComSciCon Can and you talked about this not a math person. And I started reflecting because I definitely identify or did identify up until that point as not a math person. And I was like, when did that start? Because when I was just a little kidlet, I remember laying in bed, adding up rows and rows of numbers for fun. Right. Like, I just like lay there, just adding up the numbers. Look at me. So fun. But at some point along the way, I put myself into a category of not a math person. And it stopped me from taking certain courses in university because I was scared to take them. Why do you think so many of us put ourselves into that category of either being a math person or not being a math person? Well, okay, hold on. Now I want to like give you math therapy. Like what happened? Like why did that happen to you? I honestly cannot put my finger on it. I don't know when it started. There are moments I can think of in like physics class struggling where I had a teacher who would put equations and things on the board and then erase them and be like, no, wait, that's not right. And like look in the book and be like, wait, what was the answer? Oh yeah, I'll put up, yeah, this. Oh no, no, wait, that's not right either. And I was like, well, I don't understand this. <laughs> no idea what's happening. And I, that was when I've decided I was no longer going to do physics. So are you, what, what sciences are you in right now? Like you're a scientist. I'm in biology. Right. So, okay. So just to say, I mean, you know, I always say this and sure, I think this is such an interesting thing actually, because so many biologists will, will almost self-select out of math and be like, I picked the non-math science. Yeah. But I actually think that's such an interesting way to say it because the truth is that math is the language of science. Totally. Right. Like truly what underpins science is math as the alphabet. So it is interesting when I meet scientists who don't identify as math people. I mean, the idea of, I know this, I'm not supposed to interview you for the podcast. So I'm going to, I'll stop. You do you. <laughs> I am curious because one of the big things I've discovered in my podcast is this idea of math trauma, but also more importantly, the idea of sneaky trauma and how, you know, you're, you're kind of right now going into the back of your head being like, well, was it that time in physics class? Was it this? Was it that? Often we're trying to point to a specific event to be like, oh, this is the time, you know, I got bullied by a teacher or my parents told me I sucked. But sneaky trauma just means it could be something as simple as, honestly, and I'm not saying this is you, but it could be as simple as saying, you know what, honestly, I was really into Hollywood and I just never saw anyone that was like me who was also good at math. Oh, you know what, I was really into cheerleading and I just never saw a single movie where the cheerleader was good at math. And 
getting those messages is kind of sneaky trauma. Being told you're not the type of person who could ever be good at something is what I would call sneaky trauma. Like nothing maybe happened, quote unquote, to you, but it's kind of happening to you every day. So there's all of these things that are influencing us all the time that are causing us to sort of think of ourselves within this context of either being a math person because maybe it was positively reinforced or we had like these messages saying that we could do math and then we had these other sneaky things that maybe make us say that we're not a math person. Sure. Yeah. And I I didn't answer your actual question, but the idea of being a math person, I think one of the most important things I think to notice is when you ask someone if they say, I'm not a math person. So let's say I said this to you now, you're not a math person. Can I ask you what you mean by that? Yeah. I think I would say that I was, I just wasn't comfortable doing it. Okay. So that's again, like what does that mean? You're not comfortable doing math. So for example, when you go to the store, are you uncomfortable giving change? Right. Yeah. But it would be like almost like I would think of math as being very complex, acknowledging that I do math all the time, Mm -hmm. but I would see huge equations that I don't understand. I'd be like, oh, nope. Okay. So I think that's really important because when you ask someone what they mean by not being a math person, they'll normally say exactly what you said. Well, I can't do complicated math or I can't do math mentally really quickly in my head, or I can't do math when I'm under pressure, or it actually just takes me a lot of work to understand math. And that's why I'm not a math person. So I think what's really happened is we have, you know, society wise defined what it means to be good at math in such a narrow way Mm -hmm. that it really excludes most people at the end of the day. So let's just bring it back to Hollywood because that's my favorite topic. (laughs) Whenever you see a mathematician portrayed in Hollywood, what are the characteristics they have? They're normally like a whiz, a genius, you know, like they don't have to work hard. Crazy equations just come to them naturally. They also are usually really bad at relationships, right? They also like don't have time for anything else but math. So when we define math or being a math person in that way, not very many people fit into that mold. So we, I think the important thing with the idea of being a math person, A, we should just get rid of that term once and for all. But if you're going to use it, then it needs to be widened to be like, Do you like solving problems? Do you like spotting patterns? Are you really good at identifying trends? Are you good at reading a map? Can you find directions without reading a map? Like broaden the term so that most people can be like, oh yeah, well, of course I'm a math person. That's, I think, that whole area of being a math person is to me, the term is super like, A, it's very patriarchal. It's been defined in such a narrow way that it excludes most people that we have traditionally pushed out of power. And as a result, most people don't identify as being a math person. Well, I want to dig more into this math trauma. You're sort of like a therapist for us right now, Vanessa. I'm not qualified at all. I just want to say to everyone, I'm not a legitimate therapist. Yes, go on. (laughs) So I dyed my hair purple, and I remember my math teacher in grade 11 just like literally bullied me sort of like would always pick on me because of the purple hair and like needed like a scapegoat to be like, you know, this kid is going to be the one that I can pick on and not going to be the one that I'm going to call on for the answers. So in your podcast, which I love math therapy, you've listened to a lot of different perspectives on math trauma. What have you learned along the way in listening to all these people's stories and in helping learn the broader picture of math trauma in the world? I mean, honestly, I think we've been talking about math anxiety for a while now, like as a society and math trauma. I, I don't even know, honestly, how it started. You know what it was, actually? I think I started realizing that the people I was talking to were having classic trauma responses. So, for example, when you think about when you mention math to your friends who don't identify as math people. 
They don't just say, oh, not for me. They like, there's revulsion. Like they'll either be like, oh God, like, oh my God, no. Or like, or the story will be like, oh my God, no, absolutely can't. Like it makes me sweaty, makes me panic. Or they'll immediately launch into a story about how they have this horrible teacher. So I started realizing that people were having very emotional responses when it came to math and started finding common threads between those responses and how as adults, many of those people deal with failure or mistake making or confidence. And I think in your podcast, what really helps is you tell your own story because you're you call yourself the math guru, but you're not you know someone on the pedestal. You are a real person that has gone through all of this stuff that we've all gone through. So I'm curious to hear more of your story. Like, how did you overcome you know the math trauma in your life? Okay, so first, it is important to note, it's not like my math teacher was just like, oh, there's no such thing as a math person. And then I was like a genius. That's not what happened. (laughs) But it's more that my mindset around it changed. You know, honestly, I think I was in a really weird point, to be honest, where I had not only failed math twice, but I hated school. I was sort of really didn't like school. I really didn't know what I was doing. Like I was probably an emo teenager as well. And I think when she just was like, look, there's no such thing as a math person. I think she suggested to me, she was like, why don't you sit down? I'm about to teach this lesson, like pay attention and take notes. And I was kind of like, you know what? Fuck it. Like I'm at a new school. I really got nothing to lose at this point. Like I've got nothing going on. I I also, I think made a bit of a pact with myself to be like, fine, like I'll try her way. I'm going to try believing I can do it and see what happens. And I liked it. I liked learning. I liked taking notes. And there were so many other things though. I do want to say it's not just that like part of this thing at the school was I had this community of friends who were kind of like me. Like we used to every night go to this coffee shop called sweet surrenders. I remember, and we would sit there and we would all do our homework together until it closed at midnight. And it was, it was this whole thing. So that's another thing is like with the math guru, I really wanted to create a space where socially it was cool to work hard at math because that had really helped me too. I wasn't this lone wolf kind of trying to do well at math. Everyone in the school was sort of a misfit and we were all in it together. And so I don't know, I guess I felt like I was a part of something bigger than me. And then especially when I started helping people with math that I had never been in a role where academically I was smart and helping people. It just gave me like a sense of meaning and purpose sort of. But I guess, yeah, it was all those things combined. And and honestly, really having this teacher who it did not even cross her mind that I wouldn't be good at math. Like she really was like, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? Like you're, that makes zero sense. And, and no teacher had ever had that belief in me really. I think it really highlights the value of having mentors who believe in you when you aren't seeing your own value, remind you of it. That honestly makes so much of a difference in so many areas, not just math, right? Everywhere. Absolutely. And I always say like, you know, when I'm talking to educators, kids know if you believe in them or not. Mm -hmm. Like they can feel that, right? So, you know, for example, I always use the example of walking. When you're teaching your kid to walk, at no point are you like, you know what, Johnny's really struggling. I don't think he's going to be a walker. (laughs) Like, I just don't think it's going to happen for him. Like, no, like, you know, Johnny can fall 400 fucking times and you're going to keep, you're going to, you're never, it's never going to occur to you. I mean, except in certain circumstances, but it's basically never going to occur to the parent that they couldn't walk. And the kid knows that. So they keep trying, right, until they do it. Whereas with math, so easily adults write kids off and be like, yeah, it's probably not their thing. Like, And kids feel that and they really internalize that. And that, that also is a form of sneaky trauma, I would say. 
Yeah, totally. So you you work in a lot of different areas. You've got your podcast. You've also got this book called Math Hacks. So thinking about making math fun and relatable for kids and their parents. I'm interested to know what your number one math hack is. I have like a math trick. I don't know if it's a math hack. It's for nine times tables where you use your fingers. Oh my God. I was like, is it? Oh, that's my favorite. It is a hack. No, no, no. But the finger one. Okay. That is my favorite. That's like the classic. That's like the best party trick. I have another one though. Okay. So the nine times table hack, that's my favorite. And you don't need anything visual for it is that the digits of any multiple of nine will always add to nine, which I think is the coolest thing. Wait, are you surprised? Like, do you not know this? I didn't know it. No, I didn't know that. I'm what? doing my, my nine times four or five. And I'm like, oh, four and five together. <laughs> Isn't it cool? Oh my God. I'm so excited. Any, so any multiple of nine, the digits. Oh, so how to know if you can divide a number by nine is do the digits add up to nine. So even if you had a three digit number, like what's a three digit number that's a multiple of nine? Now I have to do math on the spot and I don't like it. Okay, 108 even, let's say, right? Like one plus zero plus eight is nine. But let's say it was a three digit number and you add the digits together and you get a two digit number. 684. Okay. So what's six plus eight? 14. Plus four. 18. <gasps> one and eight is nine. So because the digits will always add up to nine, you always know what the other digit is. Oh, yeah. So for example, nine times five, okay? So, so there, here's the trick. Nine times five, if you weren't going to use your fingers, nine times five, <laughs> what's one digit less than five? Four. So the first number is four. So what does the second digit have to be if they add up to nine? Got to be five. It has to be five. So what's nine times seven? Okay, the first digit is one less than seven. So it's six. So what's the second digit? Michael. Oh, three. So it's 63. So like, we'll do one. Well, here's a final one. A final one, like nine times eight. The first digit is one less than eight. So what is it? Seven. And then seven plus what equals nine? Two. So it's 72. That's super cool. I did not know that one. Show them the finger one because it's so crazy. So the finger one is if you're looking at your two hands out in front of you with your digits up, (laughs) digits up. Digits up. I don't know why I said it that way. It's not like that's a thing. (laughs) Anyway, you start on your left hand. And you say nine times three, you put down your third finger, your fun finger, and you have two and seven, right? Two on one side, seven on the other, 27. If you do say nine times six, you put down your pinky finger on your right hand, you've got five on the left hand, four on the other, 54. Whoa, that's crazy. Wild, right? right? (laughs) I still do it all the time. I have also a really good five times table trick. So- To multiply anything by five, the strategy you're going to use is divide it by two and add a zero. So 32 times five. What's 32 divided by two? 16. Add a zero. 160. Wow. That's a good one, right? Oh, I like it. (laughs) Michael, do you want one? Yes. Great. 46 times five. What's 46 divided by two? Uh, 23. And then add a zero. 230. Wow. That is, that's nuts. That's a good one. So wait, are these math hacks? Are they math tricks? I would say a trick would be something that like almost fooled you. Yeah, that's a good point. And these are more of a treat. (laughs) (laughs) They're more of a treat. But they're also like, it's like a a hack is a shortcut to get to the right answer, I would say. Well, there's one more thing I want to bring up, Vanessa. So let's talk about the STEM acronym. Science, technology, engineering, and math. And math is always at the end. And as an educator, 
I'm always trying to infuse each of those letters into a lot of my programming and math is always forgotten about. It's always sort of like the last thing kind of like tacked on. It is. So what have you discovered in, in, in your line of work that to help reverse these trends? You know, what are you, what are you, what's, what are you finding out there? It's so funny. I was just thinking about how Emma's totally left out. I was like, you know, there's like science communicators. Why aren't there math communicators? Like, why is math such a like, ugh? But honestly, I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons. Like number one, I think all of the other acronyms in STEM have like very directly associated careers with them. I'm just making this up now, but I think that really is it. Like science, you're a scientist. Engineering, you're an engineer. Whereas math, everyone's like, but what are we doing in it? Like the only thing people think of is like being a crazed mathematician or a math teacher. So I think number one, people have no fucking idea where you would use math in a job. Really, it's a image issue is what we're talking about here, because we're talking about something that is a language. It's embedded in everything that we do, but we don't give it enough credit for everything that it does in our lives. Well, I my favorite thing to say is that math needs like the biggest PR makeover. It needs a rebrand. It fully <laughs> does. Like math has like a bad rep. Like it needs someone to give it a makeover. Yes, that's what I try to do. Like my work is to give math culture a makeover. But also aside from the fact that it has an image issue, I think it has a lot more than that. Like I think the culture surrounding math is probably the snobbiest of all the the STEM. You know what I mean? I, I still think it's one of the most archaic institutions and one of the most uninclusive I really think that the that one of the main things that we need to do in terms of like what work do we need to do to make it more inclusive and get women more involved is point this stuff out. So it's yes, we need to show women why this is relevant and all the cool things they can do with math just like we want to do with any career path, but I think more than that we need to show women that they don't have to shed their identities just to be good at math. And I would say that Math is one of those things that people really create an identity around. Like when you say you're good at math, they assume all sorts of things about you. I don't think the same is true with science. So I think that we need to help girls notice this, show them that it's all bullshit and really like help, you know, call them to action in terms of changing that myth. And I think, yeah, like we do with all of this stuff, representation, showing them people like them who are also mathematicians is going to be really, really important. Should we get to those audience questions? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like my Kool-Aid throwback. Why is the sky? What's at the center of a black hole? When we evolve, does anyone have free will? Why is like carbon the fastest thing on Earth? Why do we keep pets? It's time for listener questions. So if you want to get in on our questions, we post them on our social media at NerdNightYVR, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Our first one comes from Armin, who asks, why are people afraid of math? I mean, like, do we have a whole other hour? <laughs> um, okay, really great question. I think a lot of things, but let's, I mean, really, the, the PR issue is one of the biggest ones, right? Like, we love to say things like math is scary, math is hard, only some people are math people. I think right off the bat, it sets kids up to be really, really intimidated by math. Again, like, we don't say that about reading, right? Like we go into it when we teach a kid to read, we're like, yeah, yeah, like everyone can read. We don't do that with math. So at a very young age, kids are taught that it's something that's going to be intimidating and scary. 
And, and I mean, in how many other subjects does the teacher get up? This happens a lot where teachers will start a class by being like, all right, so like most people fail this unit mm-hmm. or like, oh, this is really hard. Like we're always using words like hard and scary and complicated when we talk about math. We're not using nice words, to be honest. You know, the people who use nice words are like mathematicians, but yeah. most kids don't get to the point where they're ever going to be taught by someone who's a legit mathematician. Not we're all mathematicians, but you know what I mean? Someone with a math degree who would describe math as elegant or beautiful. Like your everyday math teacher is not using those words with math. Well, speaking of things that are beautiful, we have a second question. This one comes from Amy and they ask, in what ways is math like art? Ooh, oh my God. Okay. Well, I think the number one thing I would say, Amy, great question. I would respond sassily with, in what ways is it not like art? I mean, really both fields are so, I mean, I mean, the, the, the shining light on both is creative thinking, you know? And the truth is that the cool part about math is coming up with a way to solve a problem that no one's thought of before, or coming up with multiple ways to get to a same solution. You know, we really don't emphasize that enough in STEM, which is that creativity, especially now in 2021, like as someone had said, I think it was one of my podcast guests said, we don't need kids to think like calculators. We need them to think like the people who build calculators. Aww. And and that's yeah. really it. It's all about creativity and creative thinking. All right. Our final question comes from Ashley, uh, who asks, uh, she needs confidence to even get to the point where she is going to take a math course or even a tutor. So what's a good first step to, as an adult, you know, regaining that confidence so that you can even get to that step where you're maybe retaking a course or getting a math tutor? I would like Ashley to right now, if you're listening, get a piece of paper and I want you to write down what you're afraid of for five minutes, free write. I would like to know what you're even scared of, to be honest, because I think that'll be really interesting. I mean, I'd love to be quiet for five minutes, but then it'll be like dead air. But Ashley, I want you to just do that right now. I often find with the fear of math, it usually goes back to failure. It's a fear of failure. And when you peel back layers of a fear of failure, I think that's where things are really interesting. So Ashley, are you scared someone's going to make fun of you, laugh at you, that you're going to feel like shit, that you're going to feel like you're not good enough? What are the things you're scared of? And then I would look at that piece of paper and see how realistic those things are and how bad they are. If people make fun of you, like who gives a shit about them, right? Like that's insane if someone's going to do that. And does it really affect your life or matter? If you're banging your head against the wall, getting an answer wrong over and over, who cares? Like that's, I'm not trying to be little and be like, oh my God, who cares? These things matter, but I'd be interested to see why Ashley feels like they matter so much. Because when we actually like write our fears down surrounding math on paper, I think it's so illuminating and you often see that it's not really a big deal or that it has not much to do with math, but with something else entirely. I don't know why you say you're not qualified to be a therapist. I mean, like, <laughs> no, I'm definitely not qualified. Oh my God. I feel like I'm going to get sued. No one sue me. I mean, like, I've pretty much gone through this process of sitting down and writing down all my fears, but it's a good, it is a good process. I think one of the big things that came to me through doing this for other things is just like, I don't want to live my life based on fear. So I'm so glad you said that because that is like my thing. I think like, I'm not scared of math, but I'm scared of other things. And It always comes back to this for me is this idea of living our lives based on fear seems like the biggest waste of time, number one. But also, I I think I started this because I was doing like CBT, like cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. with my own therapist. And she was talking about how like 
normally when you're scared of something, especially where failure is involved, it always comes back to like security. So for, I get my students to do this. So I'll be like, they'll be panicking. I don't want to write this test. I'm crying. And I'll be like, Hey, what are you scared of? Let's go. And they'll be like, well, I'm going to fail the test. What's going to happen if you fail the test? I won't get into university. What happens if you don't get into university? I won't get a job. What happens if you don't get a job? I'll be homeless. And then you're like, is any of that realistic? And they're kind of like, well, no. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like you go back on it to be like, hold on a second. I've started spiraling really far down the line. Like, if I fail a math test, first of all, it doesn't mean I'm not going to get into university. Nope. But it certainly doesn't mean that by the end of the whatever, the consequence spiral of failing a test, I'm not, you know, I'm going to ha- be jobless. Like, no. So I think I, my therapist had been saying that those fears of failure normally stem from a deeper fear of security of like, you know, having a roof over your head and having a place to live and having enough money. And we just get so quickly from failure all the way to rock bottom so quickly in our mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for back to Ashley, if you were to write down what you're really scared of, I'd be interested to see if halfway through writing it, you were like, wait a second, this is not, this is completely unrealistic, you know, get back to me. Send me a message, Ashley. Now that we've faced our fears, uh, should we nerd out? Yeah. I want to nerd out. What you nerding about? What you nerding about? And if you want to nerd out with us, you can send us your nerd outs again at our socials at nerditeyvr, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email us, Vancouver at nerdnight.com. Our first one comes in from Amy, who told us, did you know there's something called crypto art? Just recently learned about it. It's kind of surreal. I just Googled it and it looks wild. It looks very culty. Uh, Vanessa, do you know anything about uh, crypto art? Okay, seriously, guys, though, this NFT thing is insane. Do you honestly want me to tell you what it is? Yeah, tell us what it is. I don't know what it is. So basically, here's the vibe on what it is. So NFT stands for non-fungible token. Okay. So it's something that like can't be like copied without a digital trace. So artists are creating like NFTs or crypto art. So, so for example, they'll make an animation and they'll only make one version of it. So it'd be like buying a Van Gogh, for example, a Van Gogh piece, but this is a digital piece of art that is embedded with all this NFT stuff. I don't know the, the terminology, And what happens is once it's sold, it always has this digital trace. So let's say, for example, somebody bought that piece of art today for $10. What would normally happen, let's say in Van Gogh days, someone would buy the thing for $10, 20 years later, they would sell it for a million dollars. Van Gogh would see none of it, right? Like too bad for Van Gogh. He sold it for 10 bucks. So now what happens is an artist can embed their digital art with certain things. Like for example, it can say something like, Forever from now on, anytime this is resold, I get 15% of the sales price. Hmm. So if an artist sells a piece for $10 today and it goes up in value to a million dollars next year, they will get whatever percent. It's embedded in the artwork. But the thing is, the only way you can buy any of these things is with cryptocurrency. That's basically what it is. Vanessa, what are you nerding out about? So we're nerding out about a lot of things over here, but I would say my latest, like the thing I'm really into right now, not even now, but more now than ever is cults. So a lot of people don't know this about me, but I am obsessed with cults. In fact, I will say when I was 17, I just remembered this now. Hmm. So when I was 17, Scientology was really big. And I don't know if you guys remember, but there used, maybe there are still now, but there used to be like storefronts 
like Scientology yeah. storefronts. And I went into one and even took the survey. Like they, I guess they were trying to recruit me. And so me and my friend both took like the Scientology survey to see where we would place. And they told me that I was a natural born leader. And only now am I realizing they meant like cult leader, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, like whatever. Yeah. So I got, I'm really into cults. I just, I feel like everything, like I feel like Donald Trump is a cult. I feel like every MLM is a cult. Like I just watched all of Nexium and I'm obsessed because I guess my obsession is like, could I be brainwashed to join a cult? And I honestly think I could like yes. easily, easily. Yeah, me too. Well, that's really interesting. And you were saying uh, off of here that there was one TV show or documentary you particularly recommended for Nexium. Which one is it? I would watch Seduced. So The Vow is like just too much. It's like 10 episodes. Like it's just kind of unnecessary. Seduced follows follows India's story. She's one of the members, but it's like a lot more. It explains a lot more. And also, I mean, not that I'm doing promo for Sarah Edmondson from Nexium. She's not from Nexium, but was in Nexium. But their podcast, A Little Bit Culty, is out. And I just saw that yesterday an episode came out with the famous girl who escaped Scientology, Leah Remini or whatever. So, I mean, if you're looking for a cult podcast, theirs is pretty good. Get on it. Who's not looking for one? Michael, aren't you looking for one? What are you nerding out about? Uh, well, I'm nerding out about the the cult of mythology. I just finished Ooh. Blood of Zeus, the new animated Ooh. series on Netflix. And I reminisced how I briefly had a mythology phase when I was young. And even back then, it wasn't connected to astronomy. It was really just about the stories. And I'm constantly amazed at the power of storytelling and how it can hook young minds into learning. So the other day I was giving a private tour at the Space Center and we haven't been really open very much. So we're doing these small groups and uh, they're really weird because when I'm in the gallery, I'm interpreting stuff, but obviously it's a small group. So I'm just kind of like staring at people and I'm letting them linger. I see what they're interested in and then maybe I'll jump in you know, with some knowledge. So I saw so I saw this boy and he was lingering around the Artemis exhibit and he was just looking at this panel of like just text like not that interesting visually and literally right beside him is this giant rocket engine and on the other side is a Lego Apollo rocket but he's on this panel and I was just about to jump in to tell him all about Artemis who's the sister of Apollo and how that's going to be the name of the new human mission to the moon but before I could boy called his dad over to tell him the exact thing that I was just going to tell him because he's a Greek mythology nerd and he knows all about Artemis and Apollo and he knows all about how Artemis is Apollo's sister and how the next human to walk on the moon is going to be female and I was just blown away by all of this and it you know brought me back to like you know, just these stories are ancient and the power of storytelling, I'm just blown away. I don't know if Vanessa or Kaylee, if you, either of you had a mythology phase when you were young. No, like when I was younger, I, I read fairy th tales, if that, but like, that's kind of it. I mean, it's interesting you bring that up only because one of the people I interviewed for my podcast in season one, I think was really, he's like super into storytelling and math and Honestly, it was so fucking fascinating. He was telling, like, spilling the tea on Pythagoras and, like, all of his, like, girlfriends and shit. And I was like, if they told this stuff in math class, kids would be so into learning about, like, the guy who, you know, invented the Pythagorean theorem, for example. It was cool. I think you're right that the power of storytelling can really, really change things for people. 
there needs to be a math superhero like you, but in like in comic book form. What, how do I phrase this? I am like not as disinterested in anything as I am in comics, sci-fi and jazz. Like all those things, I'm just like, I'm not interested. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure kids do need a math superhero. I would just be like, Ugh. like I want a math like reality show. You want the Kardashians, but math. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly what I want. I don't know what that even is, but that's what I want. While they're selling those detox teas, they could also be doing some kind of math, like adding up how much money it would cost to buy the, buy the tea or like... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Like something like maybe that's what I want. Like you're right. I want like gossip, but math. I want that too. <laughs> Kaylee, uh, what are you nerding out about? Ah, uh, that's a good question. You know, I was thinking about that earlier today and truly I've just been nerding out about self-care. Like the last few weeks I've been making a real effort to do things that I like to do in my downtime. And I've made a few life changes that I've been really enjoying. Every morning for the last month, I've got up and I've done 30 minutes of yoga, which has been delightful and make myself some of my favorite tea. And I've been going paddleboarding because how else can one be physically distanced but like out in the middle of the ocean away from everybody else? So I've been doing that. And one of the other things I've been doing is taking time to cook. I actually love cooking, but I kind of, to be honest, I sometimes resent it because I find that there are times when I don't want to do anything and I have to prepare a meal. And I'm just like, oh, am I really going to spend all this time? But I've been finding some joy in it. And I'm actually going to plug my favorite cookbook. I've had it for a few months. I absolutely adore it. It is called Milk, Spice, and Curry Leaves, Hill Country Recipes from the Heart of Sri Lanka. And the book is by Ruan Mali Samarakun Amunugama. And Michael, you know, I was living in Sri Lanka back in 2018. I was actually living in the hill country doing some work with the Sri Lanka Wildlife Health Center. I loved the food so much. The cookbook is beautiful. It's like, honestly, the first time I bought, I haven't bought a cookbook in years. Why would I need one? The internet is right in front of me. But this book is fantastic. It's got excellent recipes. I've been making like chicken and eggplant and potato curry every weekend. And I've been absolutely loving it. So I highly recommend it for anyone interested in some delicious recipes. So that's me. Oh my God. Curries are just so cozy. I also love that you're nerding out about self-care. Like that's a great thing to nerd out about, like being like really intentional about it and being like, but also sorry, you go paddleboarding right like in March? Oh, okay. I go open water swimming in March. <laughs> so, okay. So hold on a second here. So you get in, so you're getting into the ocean and like in a wetsuit, or is it cold? It's not cold. It is cold. It is cold. So I, I do find it a little hard to be swimming for a long period of time now, mostly for my hands and my feet, because the neoprene on my hands and my feet isn't quite thick enough. Uh, but on a paddleboard, it's totally fine. I wear like wool socks inside my boots. What if you fell in with your boots and socks? Yeah, I climb back out onto my paddleboard. And I also have a whistle in case something bad happens. Well, you're just going to have to come visit us, uh, Vanessa, and uh, Kaylee will take you paddleboarding. Uh, I, w I will not be joining. Uh, I <laughs> love paddleboarding so much, and I never get to paddle. Like, I haven't paddleboarded in years, but it's like my favorite thing. So maybe I'll just move there. That would be great for us. That would us. be really great. <laughs> we'd have a we'd have a ma our math therapist to help us out. Uh, thank you so much, Vanessa, for joining us on Nerdin' About. Where can people learn more about the math guru, math therapy, and all of your creative endeavors, including your band? 
Okay, so number one place to find me is at the Math Guru. I'm more of an Instagram girl. Like you can find me on Twitter if you need to, but IG is my home. And Math Therapy is my podcast. You can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And my band is Goodnight Sunrise. So feel free to look us up. Go follow Vanessa. This was an absolute delight. Thank you so much for spending time with us and telling us about all of your endeavors. If you want to hear more from us, you can follow us on our socials at NerdNightYVR on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until we meet again, divide by two and just add zero. <laughs> <laughs>